What book did I read this week that contains the seeds and hints at one of the most dystopian futures ever conceived by a human? Follow me, mere mortals, and we'll find out. Welcome, mere mortals, to another book review, the book reviews that will help transcend you beyond mere mortality. Today, I have the book for you, Chrome Yellow by Aldous Huxley. This book was published in 1921, and it's actually the very first work of the famous, famous English author. It's set in the heart of green England, so imagine rolling green fields, the sheep out in the pastures, the simple-minded town folk doing their daily chores, and it's set in Camlet, which is, I think, a fictional town, but in there resides the manor of Chrome. So in this lush green countryside, we have the accumulation, the gathering, the collection of an eccentric bunch of folks. And the book itself is a satirical novel. So it's taking a, a bit of fun at the English gentry, I would say the aristocratic class, as well as some of their summer guests that are invited to the manor. The style of the book flows through the narration, which is told by a third person, an omniscient narrator who is observing them, getting inside of the characters' heads and watching what happens through their interactions. There's no real driving force behind the book, so there is no cumulative action. There is no great gatherings of doing. There is pretty much nothing. So we look at the interactions, we look at the characters themselves and the developing of their eccentricities. We have, for example, Dennis, the not starving artist, but the very emotional young man in love with the very pretty Anne who rebuffs his advances. Oh, dearest me. We have the cynical Mr. Scogan who points out flaws in everything, but has this ranting style of humorous narration. And then there's the other random characters like the flapper Mary who is unsure of what she wants and needs constant approval by everyone. There's the lord and lady of the manor, I guess you'd say, the Wimbushes who the lady is very into astrology and all these ridiculous things. The lord himself sort of removes himself from everyone so he doesn't need to particularly interact with him. He cares more about the past and history rather than the here and now. It's a very, very short book, only 174 pages. So you will get through it quite quickly. I think I read it in about three hours. Yet you do get enough of a storyline of a plot to to actually get a feel for what these characters are about and their motivations behind whatever it is that they're doing. Onto the themes of the book, and I guess I will start with a satire. And I would say it doesn't always need to be mean-spirited or mean-hearted, which I have taken from other sort of books and I guess just comedy in general, that biting, accusing sort of one where it's it's really getting to the heart and, and you know hurting someone. Uh, I'm not that much a fan of that. When thankfully, this book is not that. So this book is very humorous. I, even it didn't matter which character it was, whether it was the the gentry, whether it was the artist, whether it was even the simple-minded townsfolk, all of them I really liked. There was no meanness about them. It was no uh, harsh criticism of them. It was sort of taking a poke at, I guess, all of these people who make up the English character in general. One of the characters most ripe for the mean sort of satire would be Mr. Henry Wimbush, the lord of the manor. So, there's many ways he could be attacked. He's old, he's rich, he's privileged, he, he's wealthy, he has all this power. There's so, so many ways that could be done, but it's really done in a smooth, 
silky manner. So as I mentioned, he is obsessed with the past. He loves his history. And yet one of his forebearers was Hercules, the dwarf, who tried to create this magical atmosphere, this magical wonderland for people like himself. Uh, and it just has this very humorous turn of events where his own son becomes a giant, a normal person and everything is ruined. If I had to describe it, I would say the style of the chapters are like little pinpricks here and there, bruising maybe the egos of some of his characters, but never really inflicting like a fatal wound or a stab. The other theme in this case, I would say, is actually almost the reverse of satire. And it's funny because there's a lot of irony in this book. And you would say, oh, irony in a book about satire that's satirical is probably going to be pretty funny. But I would actually say, no, 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 no. The irony does not always need to be humorous. And so there's a couple of sections in this where I really found myself connecting with what was being said. One of the examples of this is Dennis when he's talking about the power of language and he has two little anecdotes, one being black ladders lack bladders. So he goes on this huge spiel about how you could take that very same phrasing and it's sort of nice because it rhymes. It has a little humorous quality about it. But if you translated it directly into French, it would sort of be nonsensical because, well, obviously ladders don't have any bladders. You could describe it in a different way. So say, you know, the black object has a missing part and is unable to urinate. Well, okay, that also doesn't make sense. But black ladders lack bladders. That's kind of, okay, yeah, I can sort of see that. The other is when he's talking about the word carminative and what this means to him. So he discovered it while as a young man, a young boy actually, in on the side of a bottle and thought, oh, this word, it has such meaning to it because he associated it with the the feeling of getting better from an illness, from recovering, from feeling this lightheartedness, this joy inside of him. And one day he eventually uses this in a poem and thinks, hmm, Maybe I should actually figure out what this means. Going to the dictionary, finding out it actually means to relieve flatulence. Okay, funny stuff, but he actually has a real good point in that the power of language can do these things. And even though it's told in this sort of humorous way, I sort of went away from it being like, hmm, there's actually some interesting points here. My favorites by far though were the insights of Mr. Scogan. And these are what you would call at the very least monologues, if not rants. And he would give these to the other guests and his hosts, repeatedly insulting and interrupting people just to get whatever was on his mind into the atmosphere out in the open. He does lots of reversals of sorts. So he'll be in one instance talking about the unseriousness of sex, its frivolity, despite the consternations of Mary, for example. And then in the next instance, he will be talking about the seriousness of fairy tales, expounding about how we need to take the lessons from them and what they can bring to the world. Mr. Skogan is also the one who talks about his vision of the future, the rational state of science. And this is where I was hinting at at the start of the seedlings that you could see for Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. He talks about test tube babies in the future. So kids will be created from chemicals in a pristine, clean, scientific environment. He also talks about the three divisions of men. So there will be the directing intelligences, there'll be the men of faith, and then of course, there'll be the herd. All of these play large parts in the book, Brave New World. So you do get a little glimpse of what's to follow later on from Aldous Huxley into one of the 
best dystopian novels that you can read out there. My personal observations from the book, I didn't really take any apart from a very, very humorous story on page roughly 156, right towards the end of the novel of Mrs. Budge and how she helped the war effort by eating peaches, a classic example of satire not done in a mean-spirited way. We come to the summary and I can tell you this book has zero plot, zilch, zip, none. It goes absolutely nowhere. So it relies on the wonderful characters, which are, I would say outlandish, but also entirely believable. It's mildly thought-provoking in places, especially the monologues of Mr. Skogan, but as a whole, it is definitely satire. So you're not gonna take anything away from this and think of it as a big philosophical question that needs answering or has implemented the seeds in your mind. I would say it's worth reading if you want a quick, easy, light-hearted book, very humorous, or if you want to know more about Brave New World and see the, the seedling of it, where it came from and how this was germinating in Aldous Huxley's mind for a long time beforehand. In any case, I'm giving the book a solid six and a half out of 10. Chrome, or maybe it's pronounced chrome, I'm not sure, yellow. So mere mortals, we've come to the end of another book review and I want to thank you for joining me this far. If you'd like to hear more book reviews, hit the follow button on whatever platform it is you're listening on. Or if you want to interact with us, come to our Instagram at mere mortals podcast. Other than that, I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world, Kyron out.